You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hunt here, host, back with another episode down in Moore, Norman area, roughly. North Moore, South... No, North... Norman, Southmore, about that area. Um, down at the home of Simple Modern with Mike Beckham. I guess to talk about everyone listening was going to see this name and think, we know that brand. We probably have a cup. I now have a cup, thanks to your awesome assistant, um, which I'm definitely going to use every day and I'm going to put a sticker on it soon. Um, but, you know, this brand, as, as a lot of people know, and, and as we've been chatting, you said that there's been a lot of media attention recently and you've had some tweets go viral and office decorations, some fun stuff. But we're going to dive into, I guess, the real kind of background story, because when you look at the website, you've got a great about video and, and it tells you the mission and everything. But a lot of people don't get to hear like you and your passion story and kind of how it all comes around. So I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time out, coming on the podcast today to, to share that story. Um but I guess, first of all, I mean, what's what's the kind of current state of the union at the moment? Yeah, so it's it's a very full and exciting year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the best parts about leading a business is that you put in all this work and you kind of set up things months or years in the future, especially when you're dealing with, like, you know, consumer packaged goods and, like, having to buy inventory. And so we've got this period that's going to happen over the next few months where five or six major things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a game of poker where you're flipping over cards in the middle of the table and, and you're really excited to see what's on those cards and that's that's going to happen for us. So we're going to take on domestic manufacturing this year. We're going to go live in Walmart nationwide. Our target business is going to grow mm-hmm. by like 50 or 60%. Um, we've got like four or five major new products we're releasing. We've got big licensees like Marvel that we're going live with. Um, there's just a ton of exciting stuff happening. And so uh, a little bit overwhelming, a little yeah. bit overstimulating, but but also pretty exciting. Um, you know, the first last few years, we've grown by about a million and a half units of sales every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year, I think we sold maybe six and a half million units as a company. This year, we think it's probably going to be closer to 10 and a half or 11. And mm-hmm. so we're going to grow a lot more in this year than we ever have before. Uh, which is like intimidating, obviously, but yeah. it's also like it, it's exciting, like uh, to just see how many customers we're getting to serve, and and really, like you said, just it's crazy. But when you, when you start something, when you're, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you start something in the early days, you're just trying to figure out how do I get anybody to care about this at all, yeah. like. I'm introducing like the idea of our company to people, and they're like, "So are you just like a Yeti knockoff, or like <laughs> what are you?" and uh, in fact, a funny story I tell, I'm um, the entrepreneur in residence up at the University of Oklahoma, and they had me in 2016 when I was just getting started with the company, um, they, they had me come and teach at one of the classes. And this is before anybody, you mm-hmm. know, especially a student, would have known about Simple Modern. 
And so they had this segment at the beginning of the class that they did before I taught, which was like the teacher, the professor gave them a company and said, hey, this is a case study, evaluate this company, their chances in the market, you know, whatever else. And so this group gets up before I teach and they had been given Simple Modern. They didn't know that that was my company. And they proceeded for 10 minutes to just dunk on Simple Modern and how like we had no chance, like we were doomed. <laughs> and you know, Yeti was gonna chew us up and spit us out and hide yeah. a flask. And so anyway, I just didn't even react, give the entire lecture. And then at the very end, I kind of revealed like, hey, by the way, you know, that company uh, is actually my company. And there's actually a couple details you didn't know and things you might, it might change your mind. And so the students are like, okay, wait, wait, we want to change our mind. I'm like, no, you're <laughs> no. dead to me. <laughs> but it's funny, you just, you spend all this time trying to make people care about, you know, and, and it feels like it takes a thousand pounds of force to move things an inch. Yeah. And then you get to the place where we're at, where we literally, we have tens of millions of customers and every day I see something where I'm like, I just wouldn't have even thought that was possible, like something that just happened uh, last month. And my co-founder and I were joking about it. Um, Clay Thompson, you know, came back after like a couple years of not playing basketball. And there was all this media around it. And I guess he just decided to buy a simple modern Tennessee Titans water bottle. And that's what he had on the bench. So there's all this video yeah. and, and pictures of him holding it and smiling and all this stuff. And you're just like, okay, that's pretty crazy. You know, we had nothing to do with that. That's just totally organic. And, and that's, we have this on our uh, internal Slack channel. We, we have a, a channel called In the Wild, which is just like when you randomly see the product out and out mm -hmm. and about. And like in the first few months, it was just like, it was a big deal if you posted anything. Right. And now it's like every day you see things. And sometimes like these really crazy things, uh, you know, like, oh, this really, you know, famous person or whatever had this. And uh, so anyway, the State of the Union, I think, is, is good. But it's also exciting because uh, really the company's built on this idea of, how can you build a company around generosity where you're, you're focused not just on the shareholders and how do the shareholders get more, but how does everybody, how's everybody's life enriched by it? Mm -hmm. So that's the employees, that's the customers that you serve, that's the community that you're a part of. And one of our big things is that uh, we give at least 10% of profits annually. Uh, most of that goes to local, you know, nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. So this year we're gonna be able to do more there than we ever had before. Uh, we've got like a giving summit that we'll do next week, actually, and we're going to have like 20 organizations come in and present, and then we'll be able to kind of allocate giving. And so as much as I get excited about selling more things and having more yeah. customers, I get even more excited about the fact that like, hey, you know, hopefully we're, we're able to make a, a positive impact on the community that we're a part of, which is obviously Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been in Oklahoma basically my entire life. And so us being a part of improving the community is a big deal to me. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, perfect segue. Thanks for saying you've been a part of Oklahoma your entire life because yeah. that's easy way to lead into it. Tell me about growing up and, and kind of like what you're into and family and brothers and sisters and, and kind of be a sports guy and, and stuff like that. For sure. So grew up in North Oklahoma City, uh, went to PC North High School. Um, and even though I've traveled a lot, I've basically lived in the metro area my entire life. I, I ended up going to OU and then I've, I've never left uh, Norman. So growing up, uh, did I, I, I played sports. I did debate uh, in in high school. Did student council that kind of stuff. Had a younger brother named Matt who has turned into like a pretty amazing entrepreneur in his own right. He actually started a company before I ever did, and uh, I think a lot of my 
you know, I think to be an entrepreneur, you have to have somebody who goes before you and kind of speaks uh, affirmation and confidence into your life. You know, I don't know if that's been your experience with the yeah, podcast, but I mean, starting things is hard, right? And it's just so easy to make a list of all the reasons why it can't work or it won't work. And so for me, um, that's definitely one of the things that my brother helped do for me, even though he's younger, is he helped, um, he, he kind of went first in the entrepreneurial realm. And I worked with him for several years before um, myself and a couple of friends started Simple Modern. Um, but yeah, uh, I think growing up, I, I think I was a pretty normal kid, you know, like uh, I was obsessed with Michael Jordan and the Bulls and, uh, you know, like, I don't think I ever dreamed that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Like, I don't think I wasn't that kid that was like running a lemonade stand at six or something. Um, But I think being a part of Oklahoma, for sure, now that I'm in my 40s, I can really appreciate how much the culture and the values that I was surrounded by growing up have made really an indelible impact in the way that I see the world, the way that I think about business and running a company and so um for sure got oklahoma finger fingerprints all over yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all over me so growing up then a huge fan of the bulls but you know also in debate right so there was like part of you that's like i want to be an athlete i love sports but then part yeah. of you that was like critical thinking and kind of had the it's not very common right most kids do one or the other yeah right? for sure and i think you know i think growing up i remember when i was maybe it was in grade school you know, I had this pretty expansive vocabulary. And I remember a moment where I realized, like, hey, when I, I use certain words, the other kids kind of look at me funny, and I, I need to not do that. I need to, like, talk like everybody else talks. Yeah. And I remember feeling self-conscious about that. You know, I think that, um, that that's probably my earliest memory of realizing, like, that I had this desire to kind of fit in and, and feeling like I felt a little bit a little bit different. And then, you know, I, maybe everybody experiences that. And then as you get older, you, you feel more comfortable in your own skin. But um, certainly, like, there's this weird kind of dynamic between, you know, academics and, like, sports and then kind of leadership. And you usually you kind of pick, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of have have done a little bit uh, of all those different ones. But fortunately, the academics, the, the big way that paid off is, um, I I got a full ride to OU. There's something called the Regent Scholarship that's really specific to yeah. Oklahoma. If you get above a certain ACT or SAT score, you just you get a full ride yeah. uh, for five years, which was which was awesome. So I, t- I, awesome I took role. all five years of that. Yeah, uh, but that's part of the story. How I ended up. Yeah. Doing so you mentioned your brother was quite entrepreneurial. Were your parents entrepreneurial as well? No. So my parents are both in the mental health okay. profession. So mm-hmm. like the joke that I'll tell people is uh, that the the only difference between me and other people is I know the names for all my disorders. Uh, the But, you know, here's what came from my mom. You know, my mom worked with kids that had been uh, emotionally, sexually, physically abused. My father um, is a psychologist. And when I would talk to my parents about why they chose to be in the fields that they did, you you know, I think we take things from our parents, these these kind of core things that you're taking from your parents. And my parents had two or three, but one of them was... They said, you know, we did not pick the profession where we could make the most money. We picked this profession because we felt like we could help the most people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was kind of a foundational thing growing up that, you know, a lot of people don't hear their parents say something like that. Right. 
um, that really stuck in my head. I, I don't know if you're in the Enneagram, but I'm like an Enneagram three, which is basically like this achiever mentality. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's interesting is like the way that I, def- the way that you define success really matters. Mm-hmm. If you're like, I want to be successful, I want to achieve. Okay, what's what is success? Right. What is achieving? And I think that my parents helped frame that as you know, success and achievement is when you really help others succeed. Mm-hmm. You help others do do better and 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 thrive. And so uh, thankful for that about my parents. But yeah, certainly yeah. there's no like obvious reason why my brother and I would turn into entrepreneurs. Yeah, super interesting though, isn't it? Yeah, very it interesting. I mean, yeah. actually, like my first you know my first job out of college uh, was in the nonprofit world. I basically was on staff with a ministry. I worked with college students, mentoring college students. And um, I thought I'd do one year and one year turned into two, turned into 10. Uh, But it makes a lot of sense, you know, like with the background, like it makes sense that I would be drawn to something like that. Uh, Maybe the part of my career arc that, that makes less sense is how I ended up being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you go through, I mean, you, you get a full ride to OU. What are you thinking when you're going to OU? Are you thinking like, do you have kind of like a plan of I'm going to go do this. This is kind of the job that I want to go for. And these are the classes I'm going to take, or does it just kind of figure it out as it go along? So I, I got to OU, I think my first major was something like political science. It's funny, you know, you show up at college and immediately everybody's asking you your major and no college freshman has any idea what no. they're doing. You know, it's just like you're yeah. just trying to find something to say where it sounds like, you know, you know, you have the plan. Um, but I, I think I really came to college. I mentioned earlier, like my personality can be kind of. I frame things, I can frame things around achievement or accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And I think I really came up to college thinking like the thing that gives me value or makes me important or makes me lovable or whatever is when I achieve. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get this GPA. I'm going to win these awards. And, you know, I'd say for probably about two years, chase that. And at least on paper was really successful uh, in doing that. But there was this kind of reckoning that uh, this wall I kind of ran into at one point where I realized that my life certainly looked better on paper than it felt to experience it. And that uh, I felt really hollow that these things that I thought like achieving these things or winning these awards or whatever was going to do, it was not accomplishing that. And so that's definitely part of my story is I I kind of, I was in college for five years and I had this like kind of fairly major spiritual kind of life moment that happens midway through college. But that's really what prompted it is Mm -hmm. I kind of got to the end of like, hey, on paper at least, I've kind of been successful. And yet this feels pretty empty. And it turns into this kind of major life definition moment. So if you could kind of cut my college career into two halves and they look pretty different, Certainly my worldview really changed. Mm -hmm. And I think the combination of the family that I grew up in and that experience helps to explain a lot of how we think about the company Mm -hmm. and just, you know, why some of the the things that we do and even the ways that I think about things are fairly atypical. Yeah, yeah. I guess you probably get, I mean, like I said, you you kind of busted your ass for two years or whatever, got the grades you wanted, and it looks like, you know, on paper, it looks like you're super successful, but then you look at, like, the impact and, and, like, the meaning of the stuff that you've done, and then, like I said, you kind of find it doesn't add to anyone else's mean anything else, and I haven't, even, you know, yeah. I haven't, like, changed anybody's life, even though I've got, you know, really good grades, yeah. and then you have that moment, and where do you go from there? Do you change your major and decide to go into something else? Yeah, I mean... It- 
the way it worked out was um, it was about that time that I found uh, finance, and I'd always done pretty well in school, but you know, finance just like intuitively made sense. It just clicked at a level that I don't think yeah. anything had before. Um, which you know, when you're having kind of a you know worldview change moment, it's not like oh, okay, I'm going to go into the altruistic world of finance. You know, like that doesn't necessarily fit. Right. So that was kind of happening. I met my my wife of 19 years, um, Heather, during that period. That was a major life event. But I think the most, I think for the first time I started to, to really play out my life and say, you know, what do I really want to use the time that I have, however much I have towards you know, what, what are meaningful things? Some of the things that I think happened is I just started to understand the central value of relationships, mm-hmm. why relationships were really um, kind of the core of what it is to live well, whatever yeah. you do. Um, but I did start to think a lot about kind of career and, and what was calling. So when I got close to graduation, I kind of had these different paths. One was like, maybe I go get a PhD and I teach finance. One was... Um, I'm going to go into the business world and try and be very generous, you know, because I feel like I've got gifting here, but I'd love to be able to give generously. Um, and, but I was also engaged. My wife had one more year. She was doing a bachelor's and master's in accounting uh, at the same time. And so this opportunity to do like this kind of one year kind of uh, mentoring ministry kind of role came up. And I thought, well, this works great. You know, my wife's going to yeah. still be in college. It's an opportunity for me to, um, to, to do this for a year. And, you know, that first year, I uh, raised my salary. So, like, I had to go out and personally fundraise. It was $18,000. Yeah. And I struggled, you know, to raise $18,000. Um, we lived we lived in this place in Norman. It was literally, like, the only distinction it had was it was the cheapest place you could rent in Norman. Even then, uh, my father-in-law helped me pay for the rent. Um, and yet, I just feel like that period and that year was so foundational for me. Partially because one of the things I think it cemented for my wife and I was how unimportant financial resources mm-hmm. and you know physical possessions were to us. And our and it's like different people have different perspectives, but for us, we, we just realized like, hey, this this is not central to right. living well for us. So you know, one of the parts that's been kind of interesting of our story is like we we are now in a pretty different context in terms of like you know resources that we're trying to steward and stuff like that, but. I think there was this kind of, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll give the analogy like with dogs, they have this imprinting period when they're young, you mm-hmm. know, and whatever happens during that imprinting period, yeah. like matters for the rest of its life. So it has a bad experience with lightning during that period. Like it's always going to be afraid of lightning. Yeah. And I think for me that that period that started with kind of the middle of college um, kind of worldview change and kind of transitioned into early marriage and... Uh, not having a lot of resources, but doing something I felt like was meaningful and where I was really investing my life in other people, that became kind of this foundational imprinting for Uh my marriage. And also just kind of like for like how I wanted to spend my time. And so uh, anyway, yeah. So that one year turns into 10. Yeah, exactly. In in ministry. And and I think that, you know, it's funny when I got to 30, um, if you had talked to people around me when I was 21, like... They would have, and you'd said, hey, at 42, this is what Mike's life is going to look like. Yeah. And you just, you know, you showed him all this. I actually think most of them would have been like, okay, that checks out. Right. That because you were so driven yeah. with he's like, like he's what he's driven it, yeah. uh-huh. and like this, this kind of makes sense. Yeah. 
But if you'd shown them my life at 30, it would not have made sense yeah. to them. And, you know, so I, I got to 30 and it's like, well, listen, no business has beaten down my door to come mm-hmm. and hire me. Um, and the teaching thing, I guess that's not going to happen, you know, that. But I felt comfortable in my own skin, you know, like I felt like... Uh, your life had meaning and value. Yeah, and you know, like I, I am such a selfish person. We, we all are. Right? I am as well. But it's like, <laughs> like yeah. I am, I am selfish, and I think one of the things that I, I enjoyed the most about the nonprofit world is that I, I don't know that I've ever really had a selfless motive, mm-hmm. but in as much as I can get closer to that, I think there were points and, and stretches in the nonprofit world where I felt like whatever the best version of myself was yeah. in that area. That, that I was kind of experiencing it. And so uh, when I got to 30, it was like, well, none of that stuff's going to happen. It, you know, my life has a different path than maybe the one that I had planned, but that's okay, you know, like, because I, I feel like this is meaningful. Uh, and then ironically, I mean, like, almost, you know, exactly during that period is when my brother approached me and said, hey, I've got this idea for a startup. And I helped him recruit a few other guys, and we started this company. And basically, when we started it, I was like, this will be a side project. You know, I'm still leading in, in this nonprofit ministry role, um, and, and that's actually growing really fast. So that's taking up a ton of capacity. But then I helped him start this company, Quibits, which is like an auction website. Um, this is like October 2009. By November of 2010, um, that company had its first million dollar revenue day. Mm. So, you know, like you've, you've seen movies like The Social Network or something where it's like, you know, just a bunch of kids that don't even have a clue what's going on. I mean, like, I was the oldest person associated with the company. I don't even know if I was 31. And, you know, there's Nerf guns all over the office. Like, we've got all these people crammed yeah. into a space that's way too small. And we, we were just too naive and, and, uh, and young to even understand how crazy it was what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm basically working this full-time nonprofit job. I'm, I'm working on this startup that has just gone crazy. That's turned into a full-time job. Yeah. And then my wife and I find out we're pregnant with our first, my son Carter. And it was like, man, I, th- this is, uh, this, I'm riding like multiple horses you yeah. know, at the same time. I need to, I don't think I can be excellent at anything mm-hmm. if I'm trying to do everything. And that was kind of a major, I, I think, kind of fork in the road in Heather and I's relationship, but really just in the story of my life where it was, okay, what is, what is meaning and purpose? Right. You know, what is using your thirties? Well, uh, what does that look like for a career? And, and, you know, the answer that we came to and we didn't come to it easily and we had to reevaluate that several times. Um, but ultimately I feel confident in it was that we felt like I could make more impact, more positive impact through the business world mm-hmm. than I could in the particular kind of nonprofit context I was in. And so uh, around then, like, I think I might have been uh, 31, maybe I was 32 when I moved into uh, the business world full time. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been there for the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Does that kind of switch? And you, you know, when, when you think I'm going to make more impact in the business world, does that switch become happen because you see the money coming in and think, okay, like, as much as like me handing out coffee or whatever it is at church, sure. I mean, and, you know, handing, you know, giving a, giving a helping hand at, at any event, 
when you see zeros coming in, you're like, I can do more impact with this and bo- and be there as well. Yeah. Is, does that help? Because a lot of people, like, For they struggle sure. with that, right? Especially in kind of like, sure. you know, in like the, the kind of faith world. Yeah. You know, a lot of nonprofits or, or churches or whatever. I mean, money makes the world go round, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. A couple of things. I mean, I think one thing is... Um, I'm, I'm really big on this idea of asymmetric opportunities, like, and, and really has to do with like scale and, and leverage. Like, what are the things that you can do where you have dis- the, the, the potential for impact, the potential mm-hmm. for positive is disproportional to, to what you put into it. And was definitely seeing that in the business world. Like it was really shocking, like the scale that yeah. some of the things we'd built were growing to. And so saw that. And I do think, you know, I, I had been raising my salary. So like, you know, me being able to do what I had been doing had depended upon people who were willing to financially give uh, up until that point. And so then, yeah, you kind of viscerally understand like, hey, if I can give like that really makes it possible for other people um, to do significant things. I, although it's interesting as I've been on this side of the table for a while, I think when I first got into the business world, I really felt like, hey, the number one impact I'm going to be able to make is I'm going to be able to give significantly. I think as I've been here longer, I actually think that's the minority of my impact. Uh-huh. I think ultimately what what makes, like I'll give an example, one of our partners, Water4, fantastic. Uh, Matt, right? Matt, yeah, hey? Matt, Matt's yeah. fantastic, He's right? He's an incredible human being. But what, what makes yeah. Water4 fantastic is that Matt is has has vision and is driven to do something, you know, something special there. Yeah. And he would be doing it if he had fifty dollars or fifty million dollars. Yeah. You know, like there is no way that finances would cause Matt to stop doing what he's mm-hmm. doing. And I mean he tried to kill him and he still does it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like that dude's like a terminator. Yeah. And the I, I think that that's one of the things I've really learned is that like um, resources usually aren't the blocker mm-hmm. for, um, you know, good things to happen. They can be an accelerant, and that that's something that's really fun. When you see somebody who's doing great work, again, like Water 4, and you're mm-hmm. like, hey, what you're doing in one district, what if we helped give the resources yeah. so you could do it at two or three? Um, but, but I think that regardless of where we're called, whether it's, you know, the business world or the for-profit world, the nonprofit world, you know, teaching, whatever it is, that the ability to influence and and teach and impact other people is always the, the biggest way that we can make an impact. And so for me in the, the current kind of dispensation, what that looks like is I'm trying to run a company in a way that's that's different. Yeah. It's countercultural, mm-hmm. right? Like this thing is getting to scale and it's becoming more profitable. And this is typically the point where, you know, people, uh, I think the stereotype is you get to this point, it's like, how do I cash out? You know, how long till I get my yacht or my private right. island or whatever? Yeah. Pina coladas on the beach. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yes, if I wanted to, I could probably go sit on a beach in Maui and mm-hmm. just, and, and I love Maui. So that's an appealing yeah. thought. But it's like, I don't think that's the call. Right. And I don't think that's the kind of way that I want to use the time that I have. And so what would it look like to be, you know, to lead a company that hopefully its mission and, and the way that it carries itself and the way that it uses its resources, mm-hmm. that it's just, it's different. Yeah. It's countercultural in a good way. 
at this point, I think that might be the opportunity that I have to make the most impact and where, where I would hope, you know, right. like I have this kind of aversion to social media. I think social media is like the way that you uh, viscerally feel about it really ties to whether or not you grew up with it or not. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like Facebook. Yeah. I didn't have a Facebook account until I'm like 22 or 24. But I've taught myself to use social media simply because there's this ability to kind of put out there, hey, here's how we approach things, here's how we do things, here's our our mission, here's our mindset. Uh, And I've been really, one of the things that's been really fun is connecting with all these other people that are running businesses or want to learn about entrepreneurship or whatever that are um, encouraged and challenged by the way that we're doing things. It's also like I'm I'm an entrepreneur in residence at OU. Ironically, the teaching thing came all the way back around. There's a back door, right? You don't don't have to get a PhD. The back door is you just have to be successful enough that they think this schmuck knows something. Uh, And so I'm the entrepreneur in residence at OU, but it's a big part of why I've done that is I love being able to be an influence in students' lives. And number one, being a voice that's telling them like, hey, you can really do this. But also number two, giving them some vision of like, it can be really meaningful. And, yeah. and it's cool, like we're in this generation. Um, I mean, I think it started probably with millennials, but it's, it's intensified as you, get, as you get younger that like people really want their work to matter. Mm-hmm. They want it to be meaningful. Right. I mean, I'm sure you feel that. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. like, I'll, if I'm going to be doing something, I want it. I want it to mean something. And uh, they, I, I think, some of the tension they feel is, it's like, yeah, but I look at the corporate world, and it just feels. Like, I don't want to punch yeah, in. I don't want to sit it's in a just cubicle. A desert, or, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so you got a whole generation of people that are like, yeah, I desperately want to be engaged. Mm-hmm. Like, the problem is not that they don't want to be engaged. The problem is there's there's just so little that they feel is inspiring enough to engage with and that tension I think leads to a lot of dissatisfaction of like I want my life to be making a difference I want to be making an impact and I feel like I'm just typing a bunch of you know I'm keying a bunch of stuff in on my laptop and so uh, you know probably more than ever uh, we have entire generations of people that are looking for like hey how do I marry these two things like how do I make my job and my investment of time there like meaningful but also pay the bills you know right and so uh hopefully you know hopefully that's part of what i'm 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 accomplishing it's amazing how it happens it just life happens and it comes full circle right because like there's so many things that you take from your time in ministry from your parents teaching from that moment where your parents said we didn't take jobs to make money like yeah. You know, like you said, you could have cashed out and be on a beach, but you wouldn't have meaning. Yeah. Like you'd be kind of empty back to what you were in college, right? Yeah. And now, like, you you know, you're at, you're at the entrepreneur in residence at OU, and, like, you have kind of the ministry background for you, but you also give value not from just a life perspective, but a, an entrepreneurial perspective because, like you said, you you know, they brought you back because you're successful at yeah, business, yeah. right? Not necessarily because you have a degree in or whatever it is, which is really neat to look back and look at and see how everything circles back. Yeah, I so. think, man, I think humility, one of our company values is humility. And it's like, well, what's humility? And, you know, I think there's this kind of Bible Belt type of perspective that humility is this kind of like almost like false modesty like you tell somebody like hey you're really you know you're really good at podcasting you're good at asking interview questions and that humility is being like oh no no I'm not really you know stop it Um, I don't think that's humility I think humility is when you just have a sober minded view like you really have self awareness right and and like 
that drives you being less self-absorbed and thinking about yourself less because you realize like in the larger scope of what's going on and everything else that like it just you know anything we accomplish yeah. um, is a result of a lot of things and uh, I heard somebody say this once that you know like originality is forgetting where you stole it from but like so much of the way that we talk of our values of our thought processes these are all things that are fragments and conglomerations of you know are the people that have influenced us, our parents, yeah. our close friendships, you know, influential people that we've looked to over the years. And so for sure, I'm, I'm not an exception. You know, like when I think about where I'm at today, it's, you know, it's a conglomeration of a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of experiences and people that have poured into me and also yeah. just, you know, some, some good fortune mixed in there. And I think like we've worked hard, like I've worked hard. I've tried to do the best I can with mm-hmm. the gifts I've been given. And yet, you know, none of this goes this way without a lot of other things. Like, right. you know, I mean, you could start with even simple stuff like, Hey, I won the lottery when I was born in this country. Oh yeah. I won the lottery when I was born in this country during a period that the internet was going to be invented. Yeah. I mean, I won the lottery when I got born to my parents. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I was born healthy. Like you just start looking at like things that like so many variables. Yeah. And that things that like went my way. Yeah. The that we will take that for I have no agency in. Right. Yeah. We can all say like, okay, clearly like that there's yeah. nothing I did to make those things happen. And so, you know, uh, I think that's been helpful. Like even as you think about like, Hey, how do you want to use your platform? And what's the, there's this idea that I'm kind of fascinated with of like uh, text and subtext and like text is like what you say. Subtext is what people hear. Right. right. And so I think about that. Like when I'm talking about the company or I'm even talking about my own life, mm-hmm. what's the text? But then what's the subtext? Is the text like, oh, you know, we've, we've been really fortunate and aw shucks, it's been, it's been great, you know. But the yeah. subtext is really like, hey, we're, we're pretty great and look at what we built, right. you know. And so I think about that a lot and how I really hope that the subtext that people get anytime they interact with me is that, I really do, that there really is a sense of humility mm-hmm. um, because humility doesn't come naturally for me. Like yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. I'm as selfish as anybody and I'm as, you know, as prideful as anybody, but it's an area that I want to continue to grow in. And, yeah. and, and when, when I talk about the success that the company's had uh, and I talk about um, even the ways that I've grown, I, like I always want that to be clear. Yeah. Do you think the company would still be successful if you hadn't gone through that business with your brother first and the ups and downs of that and the learnings and the, and the stuff that you've kind of gained from it's that? It's a great question, man. Um, you know, thing about counterfactuals is you'll never know, which is what makes them so interesting. Yeah. You can, you can play the counterfactual game and even come to conclusions that you're just sure right, but but you never know if it even was possible that it could have gone that way. I will say this, um, and I've said this to him. He had so much of a harder job than I did. It's so much easier to go second. You know, he was thrown into leading a company with hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue as like a 20-something. Yeah. And that is a lot of responsibility. And I had the opportunity to kind of more be his number two and kind of watch. And it's easy to kind of point out like hey, well, this could have been better or, you know, this or whatever. But the reality is that's an insanely challenging job for anybody. What that experience did for me is I think it prepared me for some of the emotional cycles that you go through when you're starting something and some of the pitfalls. 
and you still have to go through them but when you know they're coming and you know they're normal yeah. I think that like when my wife and I first got married we joined this uh, young marrieds kind of class at our, our church and all the other couples were further ahead in marriage than we were but the, the most valuable thing about it was that we were able to hear them tell stories about what they were experiencing in their marriage and then when we went through that it was like oh we're not just like defective like this yeah. is a thing that like normal people experience yeah. right and so I think that helped me a lot and it also helped me to have a really clear vision for like, hey, what is, you know, kind of the culture um, that we want to create. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my favorite, uh, my favorite quote, maybe of all time, is the Roosevelt quote about the man who's in the arena where he, he really functionally says like, it is so easy. It is so easy to sit in the cheap seats oh, yeah. and just point at the guy on the field and say, how did you miss that? Or, oh, like... That's a stupid play call, or what are you doing? But that the credit really belongs to people who are willing to get out there and try. Uh-huh. You know, entrepreneurship is hard. Trying to do anything um, where you put yourself out there is hard. Yeah. And you're going to get bloodied up, and there are going to be things that don't go well, and it's going to be imperfect. But the simple fact that you're willing to get out there and you're willing to try, that's so much of it. Yeah, no, no, I, I mean, totally agree with you. Like, it's, and I, listening to you say that, it makes so much sense that, like, you know, just kind of watching, like, just, just being one step back and seeing, you know, your brother go through that stuff, right? And, yeah. and see these, you know, you mean, you gave a perfect example of being in marriage class. Like, you're like, oh, this, this is normal. You guys already been through this. Like, it, it makes so much sense. And it's such a great yeah. kind of way to explain it. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people can go to the website and see the story and research and figure out how it all happened. Um, so I don't want you to dive too much into that. Um, but you know, obviously you're, you know, you're, you're, you're working in a business and then like, who, who says to you like, Hey, I have an idea that we should now sell cups. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, how, yeah. does that... how did this all come to right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's so funny. Like the way that the business started, uh, there were two guys that, um, I had worked with for several years. I'd known both of them for more than a decade and, they worked uh, underneath me in this organization uh-huh. with my brother. And they, they just kind of approached me one day. We went out to lunch. They just said, hey, would you be willing to just do a side project with us? We, we love working with you, and it'd be fun. And we could sell things online. And uh, that was really like it, it was not this kind of vision, yeah, yeah. grandiose visions. It was just kind of like, hey, it'd be fun to do a side project. And all we knew was, hey, we want to do something in e-commerce because we have really deep expertise there. Uh-huh. Uh, we want to make really good product. And we want to start by selling on Amazon. That was it. That was yeah. the extent. Oh, and I think the other thing is we really had a sense of like culturally uh, what we would want it to be about as big or small as it ended up being. And we so we started out by making a list of like all these products that we could sell. And I've pulled that list up in, yeah. you know, in recent months and it's just there's a bunch of just terrible ideas on there <laughs> like ideas where it's like compost bins like if we had picked compost bins as like our product of choice you know we were probably not doing yeah. this podcast um but we we had a couple of good ideas on there and we were fortunate enough uh, as we went out and started getting samples on some of our ideas to find a really outstanding manufacturing partner uh, internationally that made our product type. And this is right when, you know, Yeti is really kind of coming onto the scene with their stainless steel tumblers and Hydroflask is really starting to grow. And so like the, the timing was really good. We, yeah. what we found is we found, uh, the timing was kind of right. It was just a fantastic product. Like 
the first time you have something with vacuum insulation, it feels kind of like magic. It's like, okay, I, like how in the world does right. this work? How is it the ice not melting? And, uh, but all of our competitors were really focused on physical retail. There, there wasn't really a big brand that had really seriously focused on Amazon. Yeah. And so we thought, hey, this is, this is an opportunity. It uh, started with us buying, I think, literally like 500 bottles and mm-hmm. listing them on Amazon. And, you know, early on, we, we had just enough success that it was like, okay, I think we're on to something. And it basically started this process of we'd get inventory in, we would sell through it, yeah. um, we'd, we'd have to place a reorder. And every reorder, I would feel like it, you kind of go through this emotional roller coaster. Like, we get the inventory in, and I'd say, man, this is selling fast. We need to buy more. Um, okay, let's be aggressive. We weren't aggressive enough last time. Let's be aggressive. Okay, we're going to buy this much. Place a purchase order that night. You know, I wake up. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> like I'm going to bankrupt myself. <laughs> you know, and yeah. then the inventory gets in, and it's like, oh man, we didn't buy enough. And right. then you just rinse and repeat. And imagine doing that for you know several years. Uh, but that was how we kind of got off the ground. We uh, one of the really atypical things about how we started the company. The first um, ten people I hired, there was only one that I hadn't known for at least a decade. Mm-hmm. And part of the thought process there was. It's, it's one thing to say, hey, these are our values and this is what we want to be about. Um, a lot of people will hear the things that we lay out as like what we want the company to be about and we'll say, well, that sounds great. Yeah. You know, like who wouldn't want to, you know, work that right. way. But it's one thing to say like, hey, in a vacuum, that sounds great. It's another thing to have actually lived it out. And so, especially early on, had this incredibly high bar of, I want to hire people where I've actually know them and have seen this demonstrated in their life. Um, and that was kind of the, the first year of the company getting up and off the ground. And then, you know, over time, uh, we, we start to really develop a following on yeah. Amazon. We go to, you know, Target and say, hey, listen, your, your customer, they're, they're buying us. They're just not buying us in Target. Yeah. They're buying us on Amazon. And, and this was during a period where all the retailers were just terrified of Amazon. Maybe they still are. I don't know. Amazon's, mm-hmm. it's quite a business. Um, but... And, and Target thought it was compelling, and, and we got into Target, and then you know things. It, it's like the snowball analogy. You yeah, know, yeah, it yeah. just really started to pick up steam, and and six years later, this is where yeah. we are. Yeah, so it was simple modern from the get go. Then it, it wasn't was. like you weren't just like buying and reselling nope. in bulk, like it people was, look at Amazon resellers or whatever. Yeah, uh, but even you know, like people ask me, they'll be like, "Man, that's a great name. You know, how'd yeah. you come up with that?" And the story is kind of lame. It was like. <laughs> We, the original, like we titled the entity, the entity is titled Real Value, which is just like so generic. (laughs) And we were going to register on Amazon with that and we couldn't, it was taken. And so we had to like scramble and come up with something. Uh, And we came up with Simple Modern. And uh, and now ironically, like, you know, six years later, it's like, man, that's a great brand name. It's like these two words with incredibly positive connotations in the world that we live in. Could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, six years of it though. It's I mean, it's a short amount of. It's I mean, a in a, in, in a business world, that's a not a long amount of time, no. right? No, and you know, it's like I wrote a blog post about this maybe a year ago. Like, I think of us as a startup, but you know, I was in this office uh, talking with one of our team members, and I just kind of offhand said something about you know, as a startup, and he just looked at me. He's like, "Look around. We are not a startup." And it's yeah. like, I don't know when you exit being like a quote-unquote startup. Right. You know, to some extent, maybe it's just a mentality of not being content. Yeah. You know, and that I'm going. We're going to push the frontier. We are going 
to try and and do more and to grow. Um, and so maybe maybe you don't ever grow out of being a startup. Right. Bezos will talk about this with Amazon about trying to kind of instill this day one mentality of like, hey, it's always day one. Yeah. You know, in the moment that it's day two, we start to die. And so I, I don't know how that that works, but I have this kind of organizational theory that the way you think about an organization is um, whatever that organization was like when you came into it, you forever anchor to that, kind of like the imprinting idea, you forever anchor to that. And that will always be internally your your understanding of what the true organization really Mm -hmm. is. No matter how much it changes, how many people come and go, like in your mind, that's the true organization. And so for me, you know, the true simple modern is the scrappy, like nobody's given us a chance. We're in a market where we, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're surrounded by these massive competitors that have way more money and way more brand recognition. And I don't know, hopefully I never grow out of that. Yeah. Cause just like you just said, like if you do grow out of it, that's when you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, like when you yeah. think, Oh, we've made it. No big deal. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, I think there's there's some entrepreneur guys that I I listen to and and yeah they're like a you know they're seven figure business but like his his thing is like we're going after Nike like yeah. you know we're not done like, yeah and and when you think of someone that's you know doing seven eight figures or whatever like that's a ridiculous amount of money you know and like you know I'd have a warehouse full of cars and I'd be <laughs> playing golf all year right but, you know but but to back to meaning and 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 just life in general like you know yeah. it's not about the money sometimes it's about life impact and meaning and and it's not about just you and the corporate guys it's about the other employees that you have yeah. you know and and the goal like I said when you hide people you know you you're, you hide people who you really knew yeah you know it's interesting so in 2020 one of the things that started to really pick up with covid there's just all this money you know the money supply just kind of blows out mm-hmm. And uh, valuations for companies like ours blow out. And I think it was that year that I started, I had to start like an acquisitions folder in my email because I was getting just about every day somebody saying, hey, we'd love to buy your company. And um, I really thought before that started to happen, like I wouldn't have any interest in selling the company. But the more that I've been kind of solicited, the more it's really solidified and entrenched that belief. And you know, people will ask me about it and it's like, think about it this way. I, I get to go to work every day. I've got relationships with the people I work with. Like these are like not just people I, I work with, right. but these are like friendships and these are relationships that matter to me. Their families matter mm-hmm. to me. I get to work on interesting things. I get to be creative. I get to create things. I get to make other people's lives better with things. Like I have you know, this person that I co-taught with in uh, one of my classes at OU, her father got cancer and was dying of cancer. And she sends me this text. She had bought one of our water bottles and she's like, hey, it's a small thing, but my dad used this water bottle the last 10 days of his life. It was the only way he could drink, you know, and it made his life a little bit easier. I just want to say thank you. So like I get to do that every day. And and I have a, a really clear sense of kind of mission here. Yeah. Why in the world would I trade that for a stack of paper? Right. You know, I think that, like, the whole idea with money, here's what everybody's after. Everybody's after quality of life, right? And I think that the thought process is, I understand that money doesn't inherently lead to quality of life, but I feel like if I had enough of it, I could figure it out. Uh I think this is what most people think. And the reality is the correlation and the tie between money and quality of life is so much weaker and looser Uh than we assume. 
intuitively. And I already am like insanely rich in the things that matter. And so why would I ever try and trade that? You know, like another way that I've said it to some people is the best part of having a successful business is that every day when I wake up, I've got something meaningful I can go and work on. That's the reward. That's the payday, right? Mm -hmm. That when I'm 55, 65, I might have something that I can pour my time into instead of going and sitting on a golf course. Like how banal is that, right? (laughs) Like, and and that's that's the reward. And so for me, like that's been the quality of life compensation is that um, I feel like I'm surrounded by relationships and a purpose and, in an opportunity to contribute that um, for sure enriches yeah. my life a lot better than you know yeah. the resources ever will that's one thing that I mean people ask me about the podcast and, and you know and that podcast and golf I mean the golf you can play until you die and something that I'm glad that I you know started playing it from such a young age and it's given me every opportunity that that I can think of really as everything I have can tie back to a relationship I met in golf but the podcast as well like one of my kind of podcast idols is Larry King yeah. I mean he died last year but he podcasted or interviewed till he died you know yeah. like that's a great thing to have and yeah. you know as long as I've got the ability to, to converse and speak as long as I can then I think that's something that I would always do because it's just so much fun right absolutely um you know, it would be nice to have it some some paper for, you know, for it right. a bit more. But at the same time, like, you know, it, I would probably still do it, you know, yeah. like it, it's just so much fun, um, you know, and like it gives you meaning. It gives you something to get up and go to work for today. And then, you know, whether it's, you know, honing your interview technique or picking a new design, you know, or just whatever it is, like it's something that, you know, as much as we would like to spend two or three weeks or a month on the beach in Maui, like you, if you're there for probably eight, eight weeks, you probably start to yeah. scratch your head. You're like, it's long. time to get back you to work. You know what makes vacation know? great is that it's not normative. Yeah. Well, the moment that like going to Maui was normative, mm-hmm. like it would lose. In, in fact, like the when they were filming Lost, uh, I remember like there were these people that just you know the, the crew had to live there, and they were just like, <laughs> I'm ready for seasons again. I'm ready for it to get cold. Like yeah. you know when it's every day. Perfect. The. Uh, there's there's this great the the guy who wrote um, Good to Great Jim Collins he he shares a story about kind of his one of his mentors uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name but he wrote the One Minute Manager and a bunch of other really famous mm-hmm. management books and uh, they developed kind of a friendship and a mentorship and he went to visit him he might have been in England actually where he was living but he goes to visit him and uh, the guy takes him into his study and shows him like this. A shelf full of books that he's published, right? So there's like 30 books mm-hmm. on the shelf. And uh, he says to Collins, he says, you know what I'm most proud of? He says, you know, here's what I published up to 65 and there's like five books. And he's mm-hmm. like, and here's what I've published since 65 and it's like the other 25 books. Yeah. And it's just that same idea that like, in some ways, the older we get, the more we have to contribute. You know, when we're young, it's easy to be like, I, I want to contribute. I want people to take me seriously. I want to make a name for myself. And yet the amount that we should be listened to is probably less. Yeah. Right. But as we get older, like our ability to contribute and to mentor and to kind of, you know, serve in, in that kind of uh, sage role goes up. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I don't think 
my hope is that I feel like I'm able to contribute in deeper ways mm-hmm. at 65 than I am at 42. Yeah. I'll, I'll be disappointed if that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Something's, something's off if right. you get to that stage, right? Yeah. Like, if it, I mean, like, there's a reason why like Chinese culture and, you know, other cultures, like there's reverence for mm-hmm. people, you know, for older people, like it makes sense. Like yeah. there's a wisdom and a depth of knowledge there that we all benefit from. And so anyway, yeah, hope, hopefully that's, you know, aging well is one of the hardest things in life I've yeah. kind of determined. And so I one of the things that I'll say all the time when I'm talking to students about businesses is that I just don't, I don't really have too much um, admiration for anybody who's who hasn't been through a full business cycle. Mm-hmm. There will always be somebody that's kind of like the flavor of the week, like, oh, this startup, it's right. growing like crazy. Yeah. And it's, this guy's 27 and it's like, that's fine, but I really admire the people where it's like they've been through mm-hmm. the big ups and big downs because, number one, the empathy with other people that have started things that haven't gone well or failed right. or have been hard, you know, is there. Um, but there's just a there's just a, a higher self-awareness and a deeper understanding of how fortunate they are. Uh, and, and so I do think there's, there's something similar uh, mm-hmm. about life that it's like, for us to to continue to grow into the people that we want to become, you have to go through some of those cycles. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to have the devastating L at one point in your life, you know, and pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. You have to have um, the thing that you dreamed would go one way and it just didn't just didn't happen that way mm-hmm. and, and how you responded to it. And I, I think that's kind of my theory of why aging is so hard is because it's so easy to become cynical, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. over time. And, and hopefully, hopefully I don't go that way. It's a personal goal. The one thing I, one thing I kind of talk about to, to friends and, and like, you know, because back home isn't really a very big on entrepreneurial culture. The UK, yeah. I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial country, entrepreneurial culture. Um, you know, I think one person out of like 25 of my core friends back home, my kind of golfing group owns their own business, you mm-hmm. know? So, mm-hmm. but one of the things I keep telling people is that, you know, I came here with my golf clubs and a suitcase. I could always go back to zero, yeah. right? Like if I yeah. if I if I built from there on up, you know, yeah. like you could always go back to that apartment yeah. in Norman, Absolutely. you know, and like you know how that feels, and you know that you got here from that, and there's so much power in that because you're not holding on when you when you're taking risks. For sure, they're not massive when you think of it that way. They're not absolutely, you know. And that's there's there's that's this power. great like you don't you, you know you don't even have to be spiritual to appreciate this. There's this great thing in the Bible. It's like you come in with nothing, you leave with nothing, mm-hmm. guaranteed. Everybody, 100%. You come in with nothing, you leave with nothing. So the risk that you really have is pretty low. You know, like, like, I'm not going to have any of this money. I'm not going to have any of these physical things. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of in my, like, legal name for, you know, this kind of section of time. And then they're not going to be anymore. And so it's really helped me to kind of have this perspective of, like, you know what? It's a lot easier to be generous and open-handed when it's like, I'm not, I can't hang on to it anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. And like you said, the more that there, there, Ferris had this, Tim Ferris has this great thing um, that he, he would teach a class at Yale. But one of the things he would tell students is like, you know, visualize the worst possible thing that could happen in your life. And then I want you to work through what would you do if that thing happened? And like the reality is the more that you actually start to think about, okay, what is the worst case scenario? Okay, it happens tomorrow. What would you do? The more you realize you'd adapt, you know, and Mm -hmm. and you'd be okay. Like you'd be able to to work through it. 
And uh, so, like, I agree. It's a, it's helpful um, because we can kind of mentally get into these mindsets of like, oh, if I ever, you know, if this ever happened or if that ever happened, and we all, and what that does is it it makes us more kind of close-handed with things. And it also kind of inspires us to operate out of fear. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. And the things that, like, you know, back to, I think, I mean, you could talk, go back to what your parents said. Like, we didn't get this job because we wanted to make a ton of money. It's impact. Yeah. It's legacy. It's, you know, people remembering you whenever you're gone. I mean, the good the one thing about life is we don't know if, like, I could get in a car crash on the way home and I could yeah. not make it home. Like, we don't yeah. know, right? So it's just like, you know, and leaving that legacy and, and that's super powerful and there's people that really don't care and then there's others that, like, that's all they strive for, you know? Right. Like, they might want a statue of themselves outside of OU, <laughs> who knows? Right. Uh, but finishing up, because I, I don't want to take too much of your time and we're getting up to about an hour. Um, Obviously, there's a ton of products, you know, like you're evolving and, sure. and creativity side and, and you've know, got a great team here. <laughs> you mentioned the Clay Thompson thing earlier, sure. which is kind of organic. But are there any kind of not standout moments, but just moments along the journey in, in such a short time of six years of this business? Is there anything that's just like not like a wow moment? Because I'm sure there's a lot, but just moments that, you know, just that. It, it might not have been a, a wow moment generally for the company, but for you, it was like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's just happy. Yeah. You know, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. I'll, I'll give you, there's definitely have been ones like, you know, the first time you see your product on shelves, mm -hmm. you know, you get kind of that like feeling in your stomach of just like, wow. You know, it's kind of yeah. like the first time I heard one of my children, you know, my, my son Carter's heartbeat on the ultrasound. Like you just, you have this kind of emotional response that you don't expect. Yeah. Uh, and I, there have definitely been some moments like that where it's just like, oh, wow, like, man, that's that's amazing. And, yeah. I, you know, like I, uh, I've been so engrossed in getting to this point that I, I ha now I can kind of sit back and say, like, this is incredible and there's a lot of gratitude. Honestly, I think the things that have made me the most proud are things that mm, that people don't see. You know, it's really so. Uh, I have this question that I ask every employee when they've been here about 90 days. I'll just say, hey, um, how did your expectation compare to your actual experience? Like, how is the reality compared to your right. expectation? And the reason that that matters so much to me is, like, I, I, I really do think that we have kind of a special culture. Um, but my, I, I'd say that if there's anything, like a fear or a danger that I want to avoid it's ever that the external perception would be better or different than the internal reality. And I've just been so pleased and proud that, and I think they're being honest with me. Who knows? I think they're being honest with me. I, I consistently have people tell me like, actually like what it's been like to be a part of the company has been better than what I would have mm -hmm. even expected from the outside. Yeah. And I just think when I see people that are a part of our um, team grow and thrive that's easily to me mm -hmm. like the most exciting part um, it's not flashy you know like yeah, the Wall yeah. Street Journal is not writing mm -hmm. an article about that um, but I think that that's I think the reason why that stuff makes me the most proud is that there's a lot of companies that, that, that grow really fast or that produce a lot of mm -hmm. sales and just behind the scenes there's like carnage right right you know and there's burnout and and you know, it's, it's kind of an at what cost. And for 
what I would hope is that what's going on externally with the way the brand's growing and the way that people respond to the company would simply be an outflow of the fact that internally it's healthy mm-hmm. and that what we're about and the things we're focusing on, that's resonating with people. Um, and so, yeah, so my, my proudest moments, and I'll take it even a step further, you know, with all the people that I manage, everybody has their things, right? Their weaknesses and areas they're working on. And man, I am so, I get so proud and so encouraged when I see somebody who I know has been struggling in an area mm-hmm. and they see a breakthrough, you know, whether it's through, yeah. you know, me or somebody else encouraging them and them having a growth mindset. And so um, ultimately that stuff means the most, you yeah, know, because yeah, these, yeah. these are the rela- relationships I'm surrounded by and the people that matter the most. So certainly there's been plenty of that external stuff that it's kind of like, is this real? Um, but at the end of the day, because relationships are so central to like what really matters, that's the stuff that sticks with me. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really cool to hear. That's not what I expected. So that's awesome. Uh, last question. You mentioned a lot of really cool authors. I get the sense that you're a continual learner. You're always reading something, yeah. diving into management books. How can we improve? What are you reading at the moment? So I've gotten on a real biography kick. Okay. Um, you know, like... I think it's just fascinating to be able to look at other people's lives in their entirety yeah, yeah. and learn from it. Um, and so, you know, at this point, I, I don't know, I probably go through 12 or 15 a year at least. Uh, it's hard because, like, I listen to them when I'm in my car, but, like, I don't really have much of a commute anymore. And so between raising kids and running the company. Um, but that's been really fantastic. And part of the reason, I think, is it just makes me more reflective. Right. You know, like... I recently read um, a book called Titan, which is Chernow's biography of Rockefeller. And, you know, it was interesting because I, I, I went in thinking it'll be really interesting to learn about him as a businessman and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. All that stuff actually is not what I took from it. It was the way that he thought about his giving and it was his relationship with his son were these kind of central themes that mm-hmm. actually stuck with me. Uh, and it made me think about it, you know, like, okay, how am I going to approach giving and what is my relationship with my son and how do I set an example for my son where he's challenged and where you know uh, at the same time I don't create standards that that are unhealthy or unhelpful for him you know like Rockefeller's son spent his entire life kind of feeling that he could just never quite measure up to who his dad was it was kind of this this way and so with each of the biographies like there's just a different aspect Um, like I'm doing Disney right now which is another great one but um, it's it's really helpful, not just because of what you learn, but also uh, because the way that it, it helps me to be reflective. Yeah, and then yeah, there's yeah. a lot of other great stuff. Like I read a book called The Body, um, which is uh, a guide for occupants, which is incredible. It's mm-hmm. like if you, you there's just like so much stuff about our body that is just fascinating. And, uh, you know, so like I, I'll, I'll kind of jump around, but generally I try and stick with biographies. If you want, I can send you a list of like 20 or 30 of the last ones I've read and you yeah, can put yeah, it yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Yeah. Uh, well, Mike, thanks so much, man. This has been awesome. Um, I, I think, it. you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing uh, this interview went in a direction I didn't expect it to and I'm glad it went the way it did because a lot of the time we, we come here, we talk about the story and everything and it's kind of yeah. very formal, but this was really neat to hear you really dive deep dive deep into you know kind of the story and the meaning and you know the 90 day rule the people working here you're asking yeah. questions and and just kind of there's so much value in there um that there's people listening and get a lot of value from it so i really appreciate that well thanks for the thoughtful questions i mean 
It's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. For people listening, I will post the link to the website and social media. You're probably already following. You know exactly what we're talking about. But um, if you have any ideas, I'm sure you can send them in or we'll find an email for you to send them in. Questions, comments, ways to reach out to Mike. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.